Blog Talk Radio. Association of Adult Survivors of Child Abuse. My name is Kim Lakin, and I am your host this evening, and my co-host this evening is Dr. Nancy. She's on with us, and we do have a very special guest that I will introduce in just a minute. Tonight, we are on scan number 3238 for our show, so you can look back at that at any time. Um, and, and get that off of the website. So um, we would also love for you to be a part of our panel. If you would like to call in the guest call number, which is 646-595-2118, and be a part of our panel, and you're welcome to ask the guest any questions or you know, just listen in online. So listen in live. So we'd love to have you. Um, we have a single purpose here at NASCA, and that is to address issues that are related to childhood abuse and trauma, including sexual assault, violent or physical abuse, emotional traumas, and neglect, and we do so with only two goals. One, by educating the public, especially as it's related to helping society get over its taboo of discussing childhood sexual abuse, also known as CSA, presenting facts showing child abuse to be a pandemic worldwide problem that affects everyone, and two, by offering hope and healing through numerous paths and providing many services to adult survivors of child abuse and information for anyone who's interested in the many issues involving prevention, intervention, and recovery. And again, we are on scan number 3238. We'd love to have you join us if you want to call 646-595-2118 and either listen in or be a part of the panel. We'd love to have you. Um, so, and then my co-host, Dr. Nancy, will meet you on the back line if you call in and, and then you can just tell her if you want to talk or if you want to just be a listener tonight. But, um, and you can, of course, access all of our shows on NASCA.org and just look up the number. So tonight's special guest is Barbara Albuquerque from, from Florida. Her mother, using heroin, gave birth to Barbara, who was born with withdrawals. 
Her father placed Barbara, only a few months old, with a friend who frequently hit her. At about age seven or eight, Barbara was severely beaten on the head. At 11, Barbara was placed with another woman. Her husband was one of the two men who repeatedly raped her. Barbara ran away, but police police would always take her home. After running away again, she was placed in a foster care, and then in a group home where she met a heroin addict who started pimping her out at the age of 12. Barbara fought back. The man violently raped her and broke a bottle over her head. Oh, Barbara, you've been through so much. I'm so sorry. She managed to escape. The case went to the Supreme Court where Barbara went through a rape trial by herself. And back in the group home, Barbara and two other girls were arrested and sent to a detention home center for teenagers. She was released at age 16, and she went back to the original friend's house until she was kicked out at 18. With no skills, no emotional intelligence, and no family, she went to Miami, worked at a bar, and was again raped at gunpoint. She met a man who was a drug addict who was 14 years her senior, and she had two kids with him. Amid many violent fights, one resulted in stitches to her right eye. Her husband had an affair and left. Suffering severe depression, told an officer that she wanted to die, and the officer took her to where she received help. They gave her medication that helped her enough so that she had the mindset to move back to Miami with her two kids. Barbara started seeing a therapist as well, and um, just says that's the best thing that's ever happened in her life. So, oh my gosh, Barbara, you have been through so much, and I'm so sorry that your your start in life, you weren't protected and loved the way that you should be, and we're so honored that you're here with us tonight to tell your story. So I am bringing you on now. You're live on air, and we are just excited to hear, you know, from your heart what happened, and um, feel free to share whatever you want and as little as you want as well. You can start, you know, just, I know that you're a returning member, so, we, you know, I know you've done this before, but, you know, so we kind of start with your younger years and move through those, and then um, maybe we'll take a break and have our panel ask, ask you a question if they have anything, and then kind of move through, you know, those middle years, and it, it sounds like every every section of your life was just brought with a lot of trauma, and I'm so sorry that happened. And um, Thank you. But, you know, we'd love to hear it. Thank you for being here, and we're honored to hear your story. So we'll let you go ahead and um, get started. Is there anything you wanted to say before you started your story? Well, thank you for having me. Um, it's the second time I do this. I, I did it, I think it was in 2019. Um, some time has passed, and uh, I don't know if I can. I, I have mixed feelings about calling myself a survivor. Um or a victim, I think, um, I don't know, um, I think that the word survivor, it feels like, like if I say I'm a survivor, I say that I'm okay, and I'm not okay, not by a long shot. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, 
I'm 57 years old. I've come a long, long way. I, I statistically, I shouldn't be where I am. So I'm very, very fortunate. Um, I I grew up in foster care. I, I grew up in foster care. Um, when I'm, I grew up, you know, the first 10 years of my life, I was with non-relative caregivers, and then ended up in the foster care system. Um, my mother died from a heroin overdose. Uh, so my siblings and I, we were all separated. Um, I just met my brother in 2011. Uh, my my brother on both my mother and my father's side. Uh, looking for him, I found that I had other siblings on my father's side that I didn't know anything about. Um, so when when I was living with um, the friend that my father placed me with, I don't know the stories. I do know that I have my passport. I know that um, she took me out of the country when I was two years old. Um, so she lost touch with my father, which he used to visit me. Uh, so when my mother died, I was I was six years old, but I was already out of her custody for since I was a little baby. Um, at one point, we went from... New York City. I was born and raised in New York City. We went from New York City to Dominican Republic. Then we went to Puerto Rico, where I was. I was about ten years old. The first time I was molested, this man touched me. All he did was touch me. Uh, my father's friend. Her name was Lucila. She was in Dominican Republic. She left me. She would leave me a lot here and there and everywhere. I bounced back and forth from house to house a lot. Um, and when she came back, they told her that they seen me in this room, and this man was touching me. So her, um, what her, what she did was she just gave me a beat down. I remember I was ten. She gave me a beat down because I was molested. And oh my gosh, so was there, it was your fault uh, or something? Right, 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 right. I had um, yeah. oh. I uh, it's. I, you know, I want to say I'm not justifying what she did, but I want to say that um, it was like a cultural thing, you know, where they would just beat the kids. Uh, I'm not saying I'm not justifying her, her, her ignorance or anything, but like they would blame the child, you know. Um, right. And uh, right. And uh, so then she left. Then, then she left again to Dominican Republic, again leaving me with another family. For some reason, I, I was, I acted out. I was acting out. I acted out. I was, I was, mind you, by this time I had already been beaten many times. I had um, one time where she broke my skull, um, and I was bleeding out of my head. It must have been around eight. Um, another time they had made me a stool for me to do the dishes again around eight, and I. I cut my hand really bad um, while I was doing the dishes. Um, another time while she was working, because she used to work from inside the house, she left me butt naked under a table with her tablecloth. I guess she didn't want me to bother her customers. And I remember being under that table naked and peeking through the tablecloth. And some of her customers actually looking at me like, wow, is there a little naked girl under there? Um, so those things I remember vividly. Um, and then uh, when she 
left me with this other family in Puerto Rico, and she went again to the Dominican Republic. Again, I started acting out. I started stealing the lady's jewelry, um, and I sold them for like $7 at the school. I remember that. And um, so they put me on a plane, sent me to the Dominican Republic, where she was. And again, her punishment was to leave me butt naked inside her house. Um, then she went back to New York City. She took me back to New York City, but she had to leave again to the Dominican Republic where she left me with her daughter. Um, by this time I'm 11, her daughter was married to a man named Nelson, or she, had, she was living with a man named Nelson. And uh, he raped me. He came into the bedroom where I was in and raped me one night. And I ran away. And the police found me. They took me back to her house. Um, he raped me again. But before that happened, she must have noticed that something happened because she gave me a beat down. And I remember her neighbor, the lady's name was Cookie. She was married. She was a Puerto Rican lady married to an American man, skinny, small lady. Uh, when this woman was giving me the beat down, Cookie like she got in the middle, like she, she, she intervened and she got her butt whipped, but she got me away from her because this woman was going to kill me. Um, I was, I was, I was about 10, 11 years old. I was 11 years old. And, um, so then he raped me again, second time. And I ran away again. And time when I ran away, the police found me, but they didn't take me back to her house. They took me to foster care. I was with this family. And um, I didn't stay there very long. I remember the lady calling the social workers, telling her, come get this kid out of my house. So when they came, they picked me up. They took me to a group home in Brooklyn, 1463 Pacific Street, Brooklyn, New York. Um, it was the Brownstone. And there, there was, I don't know, there must have been like 10, 15 girls. And... Um, I, we had, we could go in and out as we wished, you know, it was, there was no structure, zero structure. Um, and I met a girl named Pee Wee out on the street. She didn't belong to the fosters, to the foster, uh, to the group home. She didn't work there or anything. She was from the neighborhood and, um, she started trafficking me and, uh, to pay for her, her heroin addiction. Um, and, uh, she would do this very frequently. And, um, I, I remember she had a couple of regulars. Um, and I remember this man named KK. I think, I don't think now I know in retrospect, when I think about it, he, um, he, he was her dealer. Um, and he, she would go there and shoot up heroin while I went in the bedroom and had sex with this man many times. And um, at one point, she had to stop going there because while I was there, um, two men came in with guns and took all his things. I remember this like I remember this very vividly. And she was in the other room shooting up dope. And after that, she couldn't take me there anymore. Um, I'm assuming because of what happened. So she started taking me to other men's house. 
and there was this one man that she, I believe this is the first time that I saw them exchanging money because KJ didn't give her money. He gave her dope. And when she got up to leave, I said, oh, I'm leaving with you. You know, I got up to leave with her and she's like, no, 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 no. I'm coming right back. No, no. I'm like, please, I'm leaving with you. I'm 11 years old. And by this time I'm 12. By this time I'm 12. So I turned 12 in the foster care home. And I'm like, no, I want to leave with you. And she's no, 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 no. And she left me there and she left. I'm coming right back. I'm coming right back. And, um, he um, he had his way with me. I fought him, but he was a lot stronger, a lot bigger, and he raped me violently. And um, this man had part in the description, but he must have had, like, the biggest penis I've ever seen, and it hurt so much. I was in so much pain. I don't know how he didn't kill me. Like, I don't know how that didn't kill me. I, 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 I have a lot of flashbacks lately. Um, yeah, PTSD. Um, Barbara, do you want point, to take a, a break? Because I know you've said a lot of, of really hard things. Um, do you want to breathe for just a minute? <laughs> and we did um, see if I, anybody maybe has questions, or do you want to keep going? Um, I'll keep going. Um, okay. I, okay. It Thank must you. have been like 2 o'clock in the morning, this happened February 9th, 1979. So mine is the middle of winter in New York City. And um, he fell asleep and I ran out the door like, I ran out the door butt naked, but I ran upstairs. He was on the first floor. I ran upstairs instead of outside because I was butt naked, and I started banging on doors and banging on doors. Nobody opened the door. But, oh, my God, God is so good because I found the door that was unlocked. And I went in, and it was a vacant apartment. And I locked myself in that apartment, and I hid behind a door, and I was there for hours. And um, in the morning, when daylight came around, I heard the door open, and this man comes in with a maintenance uniform on, which I'll tell you something. Please remind me later to tell you something about the maintenance uniform. Um, And uh, when he saw me, like, I still remember to this day the fear in his face, like, oh, my God, where did you come from, you know, like, how did you get in here, you know, and he ran, he ran out of that apartment, like, he saw, I don't know, and um, when he came back, he came back with the police, and I remember the police officer putting something over me, like a shirt or something, and um, I told the police officer what happened, and they went downstairs and arrested the man. I remember them taking him out in handcuffs and then taking me in a gurney to the hospital. Um, and I remember going to the hospital and doing whatever they were doing. And I don't know if it was that same day or the next day, two of the girls from the group home came to visit me, Monica and Annette. And 
mind you, I'm 12 years old. I'm all alone in the world. Like, I was literally all alone in the world. And um, Monica's like, oh, come on, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go back home, let's go to the group home. You don't need to be here. So I left the AMA, what they would consider AMA, against medical advice. I got up and I left with the girls. I went right back to the same group home. And they left me there in the same group home, right where, you know, Right there, I went right back there. They took me right back there, and um, I stayed there. I went right back there, and they stay. I stayed there and with the girls, and went through a trial because he had the audacity to plead innocent. I went through a trial. I was all by myself. I mean, I don't know if any of you ever had any kind of court cases or anything, but it could be very intimidating, and. Um, I was Especially there by myself. Yeah, by this time I'm 13 because this happened February 9th. My birthday was March 25th. So I went through a trial. Um, he was found guilty and he was sentenced to one year in prison. And um, from there, I'm, I'm starting to act out Moniker and Annette, the two girls, my friends from the group home, um, we started acting out, and um, I got arrested in Manhattan and uh, went to Spofford, um, where I was diagnosed with gonorrhea. I thought I was dying, infirmary, and they diagnosed me with gonorrhea. Um, here I am, 13 years old, with gonorrhea in Spofford. Um, went to yeah, court. not really knowing probably even what it is, I'm sure, at 13. Yeah. And um, I remember I was in so much pain. I thought I was dying. That's all I remember. And they took me to the infirmary, and they put me on penicillin. And I remember them telling me what was wrong with me. And, uh, and um, after Spofford, they... When we went to court, they sent me to South Lansing, which was a minimum security detention center, being out really bad. Uh, so they took me to Tryon, which was a maximum security detention center. And I stayed there till I was, was, I was 16. It was like a few days before my 16th birthday, where they took me back to Lucila's house, the original lady that had left me with her daughter. Um, Social services, right? It's a foster care system. It's a social worker, right? Genius idea to take me right back where um, everything started. Uh, And um, I, well, you've been raped so many times, so many times while you're a child. Like, it's very, you're like a magnet to it. You're a magnet. You like, and you don't even know what you're doing. So anyone that wanted to have sex with me would have their way with me. It was um, not until I was in my 40s that I realized that it was not my fault, you know, because um, yeah, I thought my whole life was, was my felt, fault. Yeah. Well, no, you felt like it was love. That was the way that you felt love, you know, because that was the only way that you were taught is to have mm-hmm. that. And, and of course, you know, it's like when you're little – like that and something happens, you know, sexually to you, then you're like more hyper aware than any other child yeah. your age. 
And so, you know, it's not, yeah, just so you know, um, yeah, we all, we understand, um, you know, we've been through a lot of that. I've had a lot of therapy. I've had a lot of therapy. Um, so I, 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 I know a little bit, um, and, uh, I read, um, I've read a couple of books that have actually helped me a lot. Um, the Body Keeps the Score, The Road Less yeah. Traveled were the two that have helped me the most. Um, and I just, um, I, I, I remember, I remember um, I was talking to my, my, my most recent therapist about this because I remember, and I'm going to jump forward a few years after my divorce, um, me coming to Florida, me wondering, why doesn't anybody want to have sex with me? You know, why am I standing here? I was standing in front of a cigarette store, and um, why am I standing here and nobody is approaching me, trying to get me into their car to have sex? Um, and uh, it's yeah, because you, you become a magnet. You become, you become a you you become a magnet for this, um, and. Uh, you're more prone to being abused 150 million times more than someone that's never been abused. Um, and uh, and then when I went back to her house, Lucila's house, I was now I'm 16. I started having an affair with a man that was 24, a friend of hers, um, pregnant. Um, had sex with everybody else that wanted to have sex with. Uh, he took me to the abortion clinic. Um, he was married and had the family. I remember that. Uh, Pedro was his name. Um, when I turned 18, she kicked me out of her house. Um, by this point, I had just met a biological sister that I had um, on my mother's side. She was my oldest sister on my mother's side. We met when I was 18 years old, and um, she lived in New Orleans. And I remember her buying me a ticket, a one-way ticket to New Orleans. Uh, and when I got to New Orleans, well, actually when I called, her name was Deborah. She passed away last year. And um, when I got to somewhere in between New York City and New Orleans on the on the Amtrak train, I call her and um, tell her that I'm on my way. And she tells me, oh, I didn't know you was coming here. And I was like, oh, Lucila bought me a ticket, send me to you, sending me to your house. I'm on my way to your house. And she's like, oh, really? I didn't know that. So when I get to New Orleans, um, I'm completely out of place. Um, my sister, bless her heart, uh, may she rest in peace, um, had her own trauma. Because um, like I said, we were separated. Um, so she had her own trauma. She's 24 years old. I'm 18. She just gotten married. Uh you know, and she had a lot of trauma. My mother left her in the hospital. Um, and accordingly, her father is the one that turned my mother out to heroin when my mother was 15 years old. So my sister had her own her own heavyweight trauma. So I stayed there for like two months. Um, I was working in this, this salon where everybody talked about Miami and Miami and Miami and Miami and some man asked me that I want to move to Miami, and I'm like, sure, and I want to move to Miami. I was in her house. I was in Deborah's house for less than two months, got in a car with this man, and 
where the whole ride from New Orleans to Miami, you know, he had his way with me, of course, um, and ended up dropping me off in Miami and some lady's house that I didn't know, and she was some type of a madam or something. Uh, so I ended up leaving her house, um, and I ended up finding a little job at a at a bar, at a bar where I was pulling tricks here and there to survive, um, and then I ended up um, getting a little apartment, getting a boyfriend that used to beat me up. You know, that was normal, uh, I guess, at the time. That was, yeah, you're normal, but you knew. And uh, so ended up, and he ended up getting killed, um, shot in the chest. His friend, a friend of his, ended up hooking up with him, uh, which probably saved my life. Um, He was a drug addict, 14 years older than me, so we had a very turmoil relationship. We were together for like, 15, 16 years. We had two kids. Um, I have two adult children. And uh, I was going to say, yeah. Because at that point, were you, did you have children or it wasn't until you, it wasn't until you met that guy that you started having your no, kids? I, no, I didn't have any kids. But you were in your 20s? I, had, I, was in my, I was 20 years old when my daughter was born. Um, because I had just I had just arrived in Miami. I, I left New York when I was 18. Um, went to New Orleans with my sister. Ended up staying there a couple of months. Things didn't work out. Um, I left. I went to Miami with this man that offered me a ride. Hey, you want to go to Miami? I'm like, sure, I'll go to Miami. You know, you're 18. Um, sure, I'll go to Miami. And uh, I went. I remember he gave me a ride to my sister's house, and I went over there and, and uh, to pick up my suitcase. And I walked in, and I'm like, oh, I come to get my suitcase. I'm going to Miami. And she's like, what, what? I'm like, yeah, I'm going to Miami. I'm moving to Miami. Um, like, I didn't know her. I had just met her um, a few months earlier when she came to New York to meet me, when she, she's the one that actually kind of found me, kind of, per se. Um, my biological grandmother on my mother's side, um, I met her. I met her when I was, like, 18. I had just turned 18. I met her, and then she brought Deborah over, and they, I met both of them. And then, um, like, my biological grandmother lived in New York, but I didn't have, like, we weren't close or anything. I had just met her. I wasn't going to go to her house or anything. Nobody offered to send me to her house. So he offered to send me to Deborah's house in New Orleans, and that's what happened. And I ended up moving to Miami, and then in Miami, I worked in this bar and I just had these jobs, you know, like here and there in the bar. And I went to a couple of bars, a couple of different bars working. And, uh, and then I, I had these kids. I had, I had, I got pregnant. I was with him. I, I we ended up staying together for a long time until he left me for my neighbor. Uh, we had a very, um, very volatile relationship, um, a lot of fights, a lot of hitting. Uh, he threw a remote one time that cut me right on the, the eye. I had like six, seven stitches under my right eye. Um, a lot of disrespect. He was a horrible husband, but I was a horrible wife because I, I didn't, I, I didn't know my, I didn't know anything about anything. You know, mm-hmm. like I'm, I'm not. Well, no. I, I mean, you know, I, I, yeah, I, I, you know, you didn't know how um, to react at all. Yeah, I, I, I didn't know I, how to react I, because she never saw. Yeah. 
Yeah, I would throw yeah. a lamp across the room without, like, I have no idea how um, I managed to get by through all those, through my 20s without any major incidents. I mean, I had one arrest for domestic violence, um, but, like, nothing worse than that, you know? Nothing worse than that, um, which that was pretty bad, you know? An arrest for domestic violence is not good, mm-hmm. but it was... It was, like I said, nothing worse than that, um, except we got divorced. Excuse me? Oh, go ahead. You got divorced. No, no. Yeah, I was, I was going to ask you if maybe I can ask you a question here in a minute. No, please, go ahead and please, finish please. your sentence. No, no, no. Talk about your divorce, I, and then we'll... Uh, no, I said when I got divorced, uh, like I said, like worse than the, the, the arrest was when I got Baker acted um, by that cop that that took me to the hospital and he Baker acted me. It's the one and only time I've ever been Baker acted. Like I said, I have no idea how I went through this, 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 this time in my life, my 20s, um, in my early 30s without any major consequences of in the sense of having DCF involvement or, or getting my children taken away or or getting um, just with a, a domestic violence arrest and one big act after the divorce through undiagnosed major depression my entire 20s. Um, and I, I didn't know I was depressed. I thought that's the way I was supposed to feel. Like I had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea. Yeah. I, just, I didn't. I didn't know anything else. Um, so I, 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 I look back so many times. I look back and I wonder how that happened. Because statistically, I really should not be here. Like statistically, when I, I, I met my brother in 2011. Um, I found him on the streets of New York City, HIV positive, homeless, and a heroin addict. And statistically, that's where I should be, you know, or in prison or dead somewhere. Um, so I, 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 I still wonder sometimes how I made it through those years. Do you feel like there is somebody that was around in your life that showed you a different way? I mean, you've talked a lot about all the abuse and stuff too, but I think, you know, one time I just wonder if, because you're you're questioning where your morals came from, and I think a lot of times if we aren't raised with them, you know, we've seen them at some point in our either childhood or you know early adulthood, and so we know the right thing to do. I think that's what a lot of people that come on the show are about. I mean, they they decided to do something instead of just letting it all happen, um, you know? Well, times I think about, okay, like, I've thought about this a lot. Um, like, yeah. Lucila, the lady that I grew up with the first 10 years of my life and ended up going to her house, like, she didn't treat me um, very nicely, but I saw her treating other people nicely. I saw the way she treated other people from her family. Um, I heard her 
the way she talked about a lot of things, um, which have stayed with me. A few of those things stayed with me. Um, and so I, I observed the way that she treated her biological grandson, which I consider my brother to this day, because um, we grew up in the same household. She raised him. Um, she treated him a lot different than she treated me, but he was a child himself. It wasn't his fault. Um, and uh, and I, I remember, I I I remember many things that she would say not to me, to other people that I would hear, because children are sponges. Um, and and, yeah. and I remember a lot of those things that I that I would hear, that I would hear um, in her house, that I heard in her house. Um, and it's not just my, the morally, it's, it's, and I hate the word lucky because I think it undermines everything that you go through. Um, I would prefer the word fortunate. Um, so I was really, really fortunate and, and, um, and I'm 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 happily married now. Uh I've been married for twelve years, um to this amazing man. Um that's a God fearing man. And I he grew up in the church where I didn't. Um and uh but I remember there was this one lady her name was Maribel. She was the daughter-in-law to Lucila. And I remember she gave me a Bible when I was like, I don't know, I must have been like nine years old because I was a kid. And I had this Bible because I was in my 30s. And um, I never read it, but except the one page where the Lord's Prayer was, where she showed me that and highlighted it. And, uh, and I remember always praying since I was a little girl because that lady showed me that. And um and I don't think it was everything that um any like moral thing as much as that I always 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 and I always is an absolute and I don't like to use absolute but I always thought about the future I always imagined the future um for some reason or another. I always imagine the future, and I, 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 I truly know that that had a lot to do with my, even though I wonder, but I, on the, I don't know if that makes sense, but on the same, you know, on, on the other side of the yeah. spectrum, I, I, I feel like I know that that was it, was my ability to imagine the future. Um, yeah. It was constant. In my life. So go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Can we ask you a few questions? Is that okay? Yes. If anybody else yes, has any. Okay. Yeah. I, um, okay. The thing I wrote down was, um, so your birthday is in March, and my birthday is in March as well. So we are first 
month sisters. <laughs> I love that. I'm an Aries. Yeah. Oh, okay, so you went right into that other one. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm a Pisces, but we're still in the same month. <laughs> yes. And, um, yeah, I think that that, when you said that um, she gave you a Bible, I just went, oh, because that was, that was my experience as well as a young child as I was introduced to Jesus, and I think that that changed my whole perspective and being able to kind of put things into place. I agree with you. I don't feel like I am completely healed either. I mean, there are definitely moments that it's just, it still comes back to you. I mean, the PTSD stuff from your trauma is going to probably be there. And I think when you start to realize that that's normal, (laughs) you know, we talk about that sometimes on here, it's normal even though it's not, but it's normal for everything that you've been through. And then that gives you kind of the ability to give yourself some grace. Um, and, yeah, I think that everything that you've gone through has been, you know, horrific. And for you to be able to raise children and then be married to a wonderful man, you know, yeah, God was on your side, I think. <laughs> I think he was so Oh, he was. So, he was. Yeah. He was carrying me the whole time. Yeah, yeah. So um, the other thing that I wrote in is when you were talking about you don't want to necessarily think of yourself as a survivor. Um, have you ever heard the word thriver? I'm sorry, say that again. Because I think thriver, T H R I V E R. So you know what? Right. You are thriving at life because you have gone through these experiences and you are not going to be just, you know, held down by all of them. So you're amazing and you give yourself a little bit more credit. Um, have you ever heard of the ACE of study? Yes. A-C-E-S. Have you heard of it? Yes. Yeah. Oh, I love course. that study. Yeah, the I, I, score, think I, score about about I, I, I think I score about an eight. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. I wouldn't be surprised if you got all ten. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm so sorry that you had to go through all, all of that. You just weren't able to have a childhood that you should have been able to. But I'll bet you tried really hard for your kids. I'm sure you weren't perfect. None of us are, but I'm sure you tried really hard to get them. Mm-hmm. I tried really, really hard. Um, um, I, uh, I, uh, one of my favorite quotes in the world is by Maya Angelou. Um, now that I know better, I do better because they have a lot of generational trauma. Um, they saw me at my worst. Um, they've also seen me at my best now. Um, they, uh, they have paid a lot of the consequences of my trauma in the sense that they have carried it. I did not raise my kids like my sister did. May she rest in peace. Um, my sister raised her kids, and she told her children knew about her past from the time they were children. My children didn't know about my past until they were adults. Um, yeah. So I did that thing. 
Yeah, so I wasn't one to share with them anything. Um, my mother died from, my parents died in a car accident. Most of them died in a car accident, according to, to oh, me, yeah. right? Where where my father didn't die from a car accident, from anything. My father died from colon cancer. I found out that he died from colon cancer when I was, um, when I found my brother. I was looking for my brother and my father, and I found out that he had died from colon cancer. 20 years prior, so it's been like 32 years because I found my brother 12 years ago. Um, so, but my whole life, or my children's whole infancy, uh, whenever my parents would come up, the subject of my parents, so they died in a car accident. Um, the fact that my mother died from a heroin overdose um, was not something that I shared with them until I'd say maybe 10 years ago when they were in their 20s. Um, so it wasn't something that uh, that I shared. Um, I remember having a little falling out with my sister over this um, because she insisted that uh, the truth was better. And I told her that she raised her kids her way. I raised my kids my way. Um, so my children um, didn't know why I behaved the way that I did or um, my daughter she uh, she's a recovering alcoholic Um, she's got 100 days sober this time around Um, she excelled at school when um, I remember when she was 6 years old her teacher's name was Miss Reed we were living in Vegas we lived in Vegas for 13 years and I remember when she was in the first grade, her teacher telling me that my daughter was an avid reader and an avid writer and showing me her journal. And I had absolutely no idea what I was looking at, you know? Um, oh, really? I mean, I got my GED in my 40s after my daughter graduated from high school. Um, so I, I had absolute. I mean, I had a third grade level reading Um and so I started teaching myself how to read. Uh, school was not an option when I was growing up, as you can imagine. Uh, so, so when Miss Reed told me that my daughter, you know, had all these talents, I was like, oh, okay, you know. Then um, when she went to the second grade, uh, Miss Weber called me one day and told me, asked me permission if she could test my daughter for um, the gifted program. And I'm like, sure, you know, sure, be my guest, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, uh, that's so she um, got a really high score. She um, was in the gifted program for her entire elementary uh, years um, and then went on to excel from there. And my daughter is a first-generation high school graduate, first-generation college graduate. Um, she's a professor now. Um, but she battles with alcohol. So the generational trauma is there. Um, And uh, like I said, she's got over 100 days sober this time. And and I think this time it's the real deal, you know. Uh, She's going to AA every day, uh, every day. She goes to a meeting every day. Um, I, uh, my son, um, 
didn't like school that much. She was able to graduate and got a nice little job, but he's got a family, a really nice family. I have a grandson and a granddaughter that both have autism, but uh, my oh, grandson is yeah. yeah, my grandson yeah. is nine years old. <laughs> yeah. He uh he's gonna be ten soon and um in two thousand seventeen when my mental health was really at its lowest I would say um in my my entire life um um and I was having a lot of suicidal ideation and uh, just the thought of him is what kept me kept me going like just to think about my grandson being on this earth without me um like kept my mind straight or as straight as could be. Uh, 2017, right after the, um, and I don't even remember if I shared this the last time that I spoke with you with the show. Um, 2017, it was right after the, um, right before the Me Too movement. This has nothing to do with politics or anything, but um, this is what triggered this. when the the tapes came out um, about uh, touching a woman's vagina and all this et cetera stuff, I started having flashbacks. And um, then when the Me Too movement, it just got worse. My flashbacks got so bad. And I started um, thinking that I was going crazy and that none of this happened, that this was all in my head, that the rape didn't happen, the trial didn't happen, that it was my imagination. Um, so I got on a plane and I flew to New York City uh, and I went to the courthouse um, to try to find out if this was really true because I, I thought I was losing my mind. And um, when I went to New York, um, they didn't have the transcripts because it had been too long, but they did have all the court dates of the trial, the judge's name, the defendant's name, my name. They had a lot of records that I acquired um, after going to like three or three or four places. The first courthouse I went to that I thought was the court, they told me, no, this is criminal court. It's in Supreme Court. This is how I realized that it was Supreme Court because I went to the criminal court looking for my record of the trial because I, I needed to know if, this, if these flashbacks were, were real. I, I needed to know. And um, yeah. yeah. so when I went to the courthouse, I, I got those papers. And um, then I went to the police station trying to get the police report. I, could, I didn't get that. Um, I got it like six, seven months later after a lot of letters and emails and notarized papers proving that I was who I am. And because it was a child, they couldn't give me that police report. I had to prove that I was that child. And why is my last name not my last name? And all that kind of stuff, you know? So it took me about six months, seven months to get that police report. Um, and I got it in 2017. So mm-hmm. I was able to see that, okay, I'm not crazy. I have not lost my mind. Yeah. This, this so it was empowering, kind of. Yeah. yeah, this did happen because I I truly believe that I was imagining this 
I, I truly believe for a minute there that I was, I, I tell you, I had suicidal ideation almost every day in 2017. Uh, I found a psychiatrist um, that helped me a little bit um, and uh, and a therapist. And, um, can we, yeah, would you mind, can I ask another question? Is it okay if we maybe ask away? Ask away. Yeah, there's a couple other people on the panel here, so I was going to see if maybe it was okay if we just opened it up to see if they would have any questions or anything they would like to say. And um, not um, Dr. Nancy, I'm not able to open it up. So can you open those lines? My computer's doing something crazy. And it's not letting me get on there. <laughs> so, yeah, if you have any questions, go ahead. So open the line and ask questions. Barbara, do you volunteer for anything? Excuse me? Do you volunteer for anything? Um, do I volunteer? Yes, I have volunteered. Um, guardian at Lightum, I volunteered 2014. It wasn't a good fit, so I didn't... Uh, Last there, um, I volunteer for the special needs event when I see one. Um, I volunteer for the feeding the homeless every now and again. Um, but that's, that's about the extent of my volunteer. What helped? Did you find relief from the suicide idealization? Did I sign a release? Relief from the suicidal thoughts? I'm sorry, I can't hear the question. Did you get any relief or break from all the thoughts about suicide? Relief or break? Yes, I, I don't. I haven't had any suicidal ideation since 2017. Um, you know, uh, like once in a blue moon, the occasional uh, thought, but not not. Very, very rare uh, since 2017. Um, I uh, I'm on medication, um, as you probably can assume. Um, I, as a matter of fact, um, I just got my medication changed not not too long ago, a few weeks ago. So I've been feeling kind of off. Um, uh, I didn't. Um, I didn't. Uh, I didn't even know that I had like anxiety and stuff until um, recently. For about ten years, I kept going to the cardiologist on and off, on and off through ten years, um, thinking that I had something wrong with my heart because I'm a woman. I'm in my, you know, my 40s, smoker. You know, my chest hurts. Evidently, I have a problem with my heart. Right? It's my assumption. So I kept going to the cardiologist, getting all these tests, and they kept telling me that my heart was fine. Um, and then come to find out many years later, um, when I was working in the ER in the MAP program, Medicated Assisted Treatment Program, um, helping people that are addicted to heroin um, get treatment in the ER here in Florida. Um, that's a whole other story. Um, uh, one day I was psychiatrist and... Um, I, I was having chest pains and I thought I, I couldn't breathe and she called the pharmacist and sent me to the ER and here they got the, the wheelchair. And when I'm about two weeks before that happened, one of the clinicians that I worked with um, 
told me that my anxiety was off the chart. This is a clinician that had 20 years of experience. And when he told me that, my thought was, oh, he don't know what the hell he's talking about, you know? Of course, this clinician that has 20 years of experience doesn't know what the hell he's talking about when he tells me that my anxiety is off the chart, right? So I didn't pay him no attention. I'm like, okay, he don't know what the hell he's talking about. But then when this happened two weeks later and Dr. Purdy sent the pharmacist to take me to the ER because my chest was hurting, and um, and uh, as she's wheeling me to the ER, Simone, she tells me, do you suffer from anxiety? And immediately what he had said to me two weeks before and what I had learned in behavioral health that I just I was working in behavioral health, um, which was something very new to me. I worked in housekeeping for 25 years. Um, it all added together, and then it all came together, like it all came together, all the visits to the cardiologist. Like that moment, something clicked, and I was like, wow, this is what's wrong with me? And it just all clicked together that day. Um, this was um, February of 2020, right before the pandemic, when I realized that my chest pain, after years of having chest pains and thinking and keep going to the cardiologist to see if something was wrong, I realized that nothing was wrong with my heart. It was my anxiety and um, my panic attack. Uh, so, um, so I don't know if that... Um, answers the question right, about um, volunteerism. But that's about as far as my volunteers has went. Um, on Thanksgiving and Christmas, whenever I have leftover food, I'll pack them up in nice styrofoam things and me and my husband will go and give it out to the homeless um, on the corner of 441 and um, Griffin. That's that's my street there. I don't know why that's the corner that I like. Um, like I feel a certain connection. I gravitate to that corner. Um, I think it's because like behind the Wawa, there's a lot of heroin addicts. And um, so I always gravitate to that corner. Um, when I was like, I was like nine years old, um, Lucila had went to Dominican Republic. She was like I said, she went to Dominican Republic a lot. She left me here. She left me there. She left me everywhere. She left me with her teen children, and her one of her teens, Ivan. Ivan, he um, he sent me downstairs, and I was nine years old to um, go to the store. I was eight or nine. I wasn't even nine yet to go to the store. Um, and and we lived on 135th Street and Broadway, one of the busiest intersections in New York City. And when I crossed the street, when I was crossing the street by myself, a heroin addict, a junkie, for the sake of, um, for the sake of using that word, um, he crossed the street with me so that I wouldn't get hurt. Um, but once he crossed the street and I was across the street, he left. So when I was crossing back, I got lost. Um, I, I, I got lost and um, I was lost in New York City, um, walking around New York City when I was nine. And um, then they found me a little while later. And I don't know why I was telling this story, but um, I don't know where I was going with this. But uh, I, I remember, I remember, I remember that. And so, oh, yeah, I remember now. Um, like, I gravitate towards the people that have problems 
an addiction. My mother died from a heroin overdose. Um, so I gravitate toward them to try to help them. Um, and it's, so that's the corner that I gravitate toward to go get the, go take the food over there. Um, cause that's where I know a lot of them congregate behind the Wawa and the gas, the other gas station across the street. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the only volunteer. Um, I am working, um, I was, like I said, I was in housekeeping for many, many years. Um, I told my story to someone at the hospital because I was, I was the supervisor for housekeeping at Joe DiMaggio Children's Hospital for a few years. And um, I told my story to someone not knowing who she was. And when I finished telling her my story, she offered me a job in behavioral health as a peer specialist. And, um, and I was like, oh, wow. When I told her my story, she said, do you know that we hire people like you? I'm like, oh, really? <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> and um, she offered me a job. And um, she uh, took a leap of faith in me. And I took a leap of faith also. And, and I accepted the job. And I started working in behavioral health with, um, in the ER with people that came in with overdoses or withdrawing. And, and, and I tried to engage them into treatment. And... I did that for like four years, then I went to go work for Bark, a detox, and um, I did that for a year, and now I'm working with children as a peer specialist. So the jury's still out whether I'm going to uh, um, be able to succeed with this, be able to stay long with this job because it's a huge trigger to me. Um, uh, it's a huge, huge trigger. Um, and uh, so I'm... I'm, I'm you know, I'm giving it my best shot. Because of my trauma, I've never really been able to stay at a job longer than a few years. Uh, so I, I, I'm always in fight, flight, or freeze mode. So, and I see monsters where there aren't any. So I always end up leaving before I see any um, significant um, progress uh, from my hard work. Because I, I, I work really hard. Uh, like I said, I was in housekeeping for 25 years. Um, so it's, um, it's a change of careers. Um, so I've been, I've been in behavioral health now for five years and I think I started this job, this particular job six months ago. I had a little episode with one case about three months ago where I had to pull over cause my legs were shaking and, um, I, I could barely drive. So I, I, I literally had to pull over into 7-Eleven so I calmed down cause this case really, really got to me, and uh, and uh, something that I've been working with my therapist, and have been able to identify what what the triggers are actually, exactly how they, at least those triggers. Um, so I'm I'm constantly working trying to heal, but uh, it's not that simple. Oh, thank you for answering that simple. question. Uh, sure. Any other questions? Yeah. I'm, I'm an well, open uh, book. I want to I, say something really quick. I hope you have a successful healing journey. Your story is very inspiring. You hope I have a successful what? Successful healing journey. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. I, I'm, 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 I'm working. I, I like my current therapist very, very much. What was that? Yeah, that's important. 
I said my therapist that I have now, my current therapist, because I've had like 20, um, I like her very much, very, very much. Oh, that's um, good. Yeah. She um, she works for Nancy Cotterman here in um, South Florida, which is um, an organization that is only for, like, that's what they do. Um, and it's owned by the county, and she's been doing it for eight years. I did my homework. I saw her about three years ago. I went to, like, two sessions with her, and then I never went back. And I started going back, and I went back um, about three months, four months ago, and we've been able to connect really nicely uh, this time around. So it's my second time with her. Nice. It's always good to have somebody that you can kind of rely on and feel comfortable with. There's so many. Yeah. Therapists out there. Yeah. Sometimes it's hard to find that right person. I'm glad you oh, did. Yeah. I'm glad that you found that. So some some of them are uh, real quacks. Um, and that's yeah. Like I said, I work in behavioral health, so I trust me. I know some of them are really quacks. I had one therapist. I. I had two sessions with her. I remember the first session, I was like, oh, my God, I love her. We're going to have great work together. I think we're going to do great work. It's going to be great. It's going to be wonderful. And then the second session, I was like, oh, I'll never talk to this lady again because uh, I disagree with her about um, her assessment uh, with my level of PTSD. And uh, her answer to me was, I'm not going to debate that. And I was, okay, you're not going to debate that? Sure, I'm not going to debate it either. You're never going to talk to me again. <laughs> uh, you know, so right, you have a choice. Yeah, some of, yeah. Yeah, well, well, you know, please don't debate it. Please, let's, let's, let's not ever talk again, period, you know. Um, I, uh, I, um, so I, 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 I was in my 40s, in my 40s when I first went looking for, um, for professional help. And I remember there was this show on HBO that I was watching with a friend of mine that I had at the time called um, Therapy or something, uh, or The Therapist, something to that effect. And it was about a therapist. And we used to watch this show and we used to love it and we used to just have these long conversations, this friend of mine. And um, and that's how it occurred to me, the idea uh, a few months later that I needed to talk to somebody because at this time, I'm in my 40s, um, been divorced at this time for a few years, about 10 years. I'm still engaging in very unhealthy sexual relationships as a grown adult woman. Um, and to the point where one day I was like, what is wrong with me? Um, I, something's got to give somewhere, something. I cannot continue to do this to myself um, and put myself through these these horrific, horrific relationships, unhealthy relationships. And that's when I started looking for a therapist. And I'm, I was extremely, extremely fortunate because I landed this therapist that I saw her on and off for a few years. Um, her name is Lynette Fuller. I'm going to drop her name when I write my book. Um, and I, I, I have to say that woman did her job because it, it, it helped me so, so much. It changed my perspective of a lot of things, specifically the fact that I realized that when this happened to me, I was a child because my entire life I thought that 
it was my fault that I was at fault for these things happening to me. I truly believe that. And um, she changed that perspective. She did her job. This lady did her job. So I was, I was very, very, very fortunate to find her when they're helping you and then you got to go look for somebody else. That's um, Dr. Scott Peck. She talks about that in one of his books. I read a couple of his books um, that my daughter recommended, um, actually. So I I um I got very 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 lucky to say the word I hate that word but I gotta say I got lucky and um I landed a really good therapist at that time in my life. Um, after that I've I haven't been that lucky. I've found a few here and there that were really good, but I've bounced a lot from therapist to therapist because I can't seem to connect. Um, I I just. I don't know, I just keep comparing them to uh, maybe to her or maybe to Brene Brown or maybe to Dr. Scott Peck or I don't know, to these people that I see and I hear about and I read about and I'm like, okay, that's not the therapist for me and I keep and I keep it moving and then I go and I look for another one. And But like right now I landed a good one because I've been with her for about four months. I would say four months, so March, April, May, June. Uh, yeah, I've been with her for four months consistently every week, once a week, and um, and I don't have any intention of leaving her. Um, so I I think I finally landed one. And like I said, this is the second time that I see her because I, I, I was with her, I think it was 2019 maybe, a few years ago. Um, I saw her a couple of times, and then I never went back, and then I, I went back to this organization because it's, it's it's the the best one in town when it comes to sexual assault. That's what that's what they do. That's their specialty. That's their therapeutic, you know, practice is sexual assault for children and women, you know, and and adults, children and adults. So, I um I went back again, and I'm happy that I did. I, I'm really happy that I did. Um, cause this job, this job working with the kids. Like today, I went to go visit a kid at a group home, and he ran away and. You know, it made me a little sad because even though it's a boy, you know, these things happen to boys too, you know, and I'm like, where is this kid? Where is this kid? You know, so, so it's a little triggering. It's a little triggering. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm handling it, but it's, it's very hard sometimes. Sometimes it's very hard. I'm sure. You feel it so deeply. Mm-hmm. They know that you are somebody that has been through that as well, though. So it's probably comforting to them eventually. You know, maybe not right well, in the moment. I, I, no, I am. Um, I'm very selective um, who I share my story with when it comes to the patients or the kids or the clients. So when I was working in the ER, um, there were. Like, I would share my story to an extent as far as my mother dying from a heroin overdose. I grew up in foster care, you know. It broke up my family. The the, the, the drug addiction broke, you know. But when it came to the other stuff, the sexual assault and the sex trafficking and, and the child sex trafficking and all that other stuff, I shared it with two patients in the whole four years that I did that. Um, like I said, I'm very selective who I share that with. Um, I think that's also part of the training that I that I received when I when I 
like I said, they, they took a leap of faith in me. They gave me a lot of training. Um, they really did. I, um, and like I said, I, I worked there for three years. I left for a couple of years, and now I'm back with the same hospital that I started out with, but in a different department. Um, now I'm working with the kids instead of the ER. Um, and I remember the, 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 the first patient that I shared my story with, he was, came into the ER very sick. Um, he disclosed that he was using heroin, so they called me um, to go try to engage him into treatment. I went to bedside. I was with him. Um, his wife was also at bedside. Um, I stayed with him his whole time in the uh, in the hospital. He was in the hospital for a couple of months because he had endocarditis. Uh, the infection from the intravenous drug use went to his heart. So he had open heart surgery. He had two of them in less than a month. Um, he had a beautiful daughter at home with his wife. Um, and he was going to leave AMA against medical advice. And this happened. He had been in the hospital now for like three weeks a month. He was there for over two months um, because they don't let you go home when you have a drug addiction and you use intravenously and you need uh, that amount of um, antibiotics. You have to stay in the hospital if you have if they have to do it in you know intravenously and through IV right because you're an intravenous drug user so you have to stay in the hospital and um, he was going to leave AMA um, and um, and I told him I told him if you leave AMA I had a lot invested in him I used to visit him every day five days a week the five days that I worked I would go upstairs I worked in the ER but I went upstairs to his room to provide support, and um, I told him he was the first person, first patient that I told my story to. I told him, if you leave here AMA, you are a heroin addict. You are a drug addict. Social workers going to call DCF. They're going to go to your house, and depending how that social worker feels when they go to your house, if she woke up on the wrong side of the bed, they're going to take your daughter and take her to foster care, depending on how she wakes up that morning. Okay, and if your daughter goes here and they decide they don't want to give it back to your mother because they got a chip on their shoulder, okay, they have more power than God. Pardon my, my husband hates when I say that. Because um, they have more power than God, Julio, you cannot leave here AMA. They're going to take your kid away, okay? And if they, she goes to foster care, this is what happened to me in foster care. And if you want that to happen to your daughter, Go ahead and leave AMA. And he didn't leave AMA. He did not. And so, like I said, I'm very selective who I tell that part of my story to. Um, and, and, and it's because of the training, part of the training. Um, uh, so I, um, to him, and it worked. Um, it worked. Um, so... And then to another other person, and in my in my seven months, I started in January that I've been working here, um, August 4th to be seven months, that I've been working with the children, I've only told my story to one person, it was a parent, not a child. It was a parent that I told her my story because she kept saying that she wanted her daughter to leave to, for the state to take her. Um, and I'm talking about her biological daughter. Um, so I told her, well, you know, 
This is what happened to me when I was in foster care. You know, I don't know if that's what you want your daughter to go through, but this is what could happen to her. And 60% of the children that get trafficked in the United States of America come from the foster care. Mm-hmm. So it's up to you. You got the information that you need to make the best decision that you want, that you can make. You know, I did my due diligence. So whatever you do after this, you know, it's up to you. So I, yeah, I don't, I I don't tell my story to too many people that I work with. um, Unless I have to. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, unless Um, I have to. Do you mind if I... Just make sure, you know, we're well, yeah, down to 12 minutes. Time goes so fast. <laughs> but, um, I know Dr. Nancy didn't have, yeah, no, we're 12 minutes out. So um, I didn't know if Dr. Nancy had anything that she wanted to ask before we closed with you because I know she's been hanging out. I, I had no idea that I'd been, on, <laughs> I'd been here so long. Okay. You know, um, Hi, Dr. Nancy. Hi. Uh, I just want to say thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for opening up your story, your testimony. Um, You know, there's so many things that you said that I wanted to kind of address, but, um, you know, one of the things that I can say is, you know, the same way I was introduced to to God um, through someone else. Um, Actually, um, my abuser's um, mother introduced me to the Lord. And so um, that's one of the things that helped to save me during those times at my lowest point. So, you know, you definitely um, have a very powerful testimony. Uh, and I, and I, a lot of times I say this, there's been times that I've laid out on the floor and begged the Lord to use me as a vessel. And, and then I would get mad when things were going on and things were happening to me in my life. Uh, and I didn't understand why, but today, I'm doing a lot of counseling work. I'm doing a lot of coaching work. Not, you know, you, you could do it under coaching. Uh, if you're a survivor, all of us are survivors. All of us are at a level where we can help someone else survive, right? We can coach someone through how to recover, how to survive. Even if we're still going through, it doesn't matter if we're still healing ourselves because I'm, I'm going to tell you, recovery and healing is a lifelong journey. It never stops. Uh, you know, things can trigger you and take you right back into that whirlwind of something, a smell, a color. I know um, I, I was forced to eat rotten food at one time um, by this horrible older lady uh, who my mom left me with for a year when she came to the United States. I'm originally from Costa Rica. And so when I uh, would see the color orange, I never understood why I had this hatred for the color orange, but later on, you know, through opening up myself and digging into myself, I was able to, okay, I remember that right after she forced me to eat that uh, old soup, um, it was a bright orange color, and I ate it, and I would throw up every time I would look at the kitchen curtains, because they were bright orange, so, you know, there's triggers, there's things uh, that we go through as children, uh, abuse, sexual abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse, and so much trauma. And when we really start to do research, like I'm always studying and always in school, and I do it for my own recovery and my own mental health because I'm still in pain. Like I go through times that I'm giving, 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 helping people in the area of suicide, helping people in the area of um, child abuse and all this stuff and sexual abuse. And those are all things that I have been through, right? 
also, uh, as I'm giving, sometimes I feel empty. There's times that I, I tap the bottom of the of the bottle, and I'm like, wait a minute, I'm I'm empty. But um, yeah. as I learn, I'm strengthening myself, and then I always need someone who needs that, who needs that pour. So I refill myself, um, and then just remembering the importance of trying to make a little time for self care. And um, I just think you're you're amazing. Uh, you're more than a survivor. I think survivor, even though I know that um, you know you're a survivor, a thriver, all those all those things that empower us, the, those who have been through abuse, and you are a, you're you are um, your hope, your hope. You Thank give us you. hope. Yeah, and, and you, you empower us to continue to survive and continue to get up uh, through our trials. Um, again, uh, your story is amazing, uh, and I'm just honored to be able to sit in, in the room tonight and be able to hear your story as you pour into us and share with us. So, tra- so transparent tonight, um, and that's just honorable. Um, so are you on Facebook? How do people find you? How do we contact you? Albuquerque. Barbara Albuquerque, I'm on Facebook, yes, ma'am, and I'm I'm I'm, I'm friends with a couple of the folks from Alaska, like Mr. Murray, Kathy Jones. So you could, if you're friends with them, you could find me very easily. Um, and before we go, since you made that correlation with the orange, I want to just really quickly. Um, there was um, when I said, remind me about the maintenance man, a story. Um. I, yeah, I was quite this, sure. maintenance, this this maintenance man that found me um, when I was when I was twelve and I was hiding behind that door. So I didn't make the correlation until just a few months ago. My entire life, I've been working most of my life. I've been working in housekeeping, my adult working life, and I always gravitated toward the maintenance man and the maintenance department. And I always thought that I gravitated toward them because I worked in housekeeping, and housekeeping and maintenance have to be married, so to speak, in order to be successful in the hotel industry. And I just made that correlation not too long ago that that maintenance man found me, and I always gravitate toward the maintenance department and the maintenance man, and I always seem to have have an excellent relationship with the maintenance people. You know, like it seemed that I gravitate forward. And on the other side of the spectrum, uh, another correlation that I made a couple of years ago that I didn't make it, my husband made it. Whenever I get lost as an adult, when I'm driving, I would have these severe panic attacks and where I would cry and scream and, and like I would literally scream and cry in the car when I'm lost. And I made the correlation, my husband made the correlation, when you were eight, nine years old, you was lost in the streets of New York City. You was walking around New York all by yourself, and you was lost. So that's why you panic when you're lost now. So now that I made that correlation, when I'm lost, I remind myself, you know what? I'm an adult. I have a phone. I have a car. I have $2 in my pocket. I could defend myself. I, I'm not that little girl anymore. I'm not that nine-year-old girl lost in New York. I'm a grown woman, and I can I can defend myself. I'm not that little girl. So making those correlations is really, it's really, really healing, you know? So thank you for sharing about the orange color, because 
I remember the maintenance men and the getting lost and the panic attacks when I get lost. Oh, I it hasn't happened in a long time since I made the correlation. So I just wanted to share that. Great. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. A lot of times we don't, we can't get the correlation when we're younger. I mean, we just, we just can't yeah. take the scene out of it for yeah. a while. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It, 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 I'm a little bit slow. It took me years. Well, I was born with neonatal abstinence syndrome, so which was the withdrawal yeah. from my mother's addiction, you know? Um, so I'm a little slow, but I, I, I have no shame. I have no shame. <laughs> Thank you so no, much. No, I would say me. you're very bright. Yeah. No, we're so honored that we could be here tonight and hear your story. And um, yeah, I mean, there's there's got to be so many challenges to being born with an addiction. I mean, that's just not how babies are supposed to start life. Yes. You know. Thank you so much. Yeah, Thank I you would. so much for having me. Yeah. yeah, you're welcome. Well, we've, we really enjoyed it. We really enjoyed having you on. And I'm glad that I got to be on and um, hear your story. So, yeah, we'll have to look you yeah. up. Like I said, my computer is doing some weird things right now. I don't know. I can't get, a, I can't get my little mouse to go. So uh, yeah, but please. <laughs> so please. as soon as I can get yeah. it going, I'll get you. Yeah, go ahead. Please find me, please. Please feel feel free to find me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And you're welcome to just look around too. I think a lot you know, yeah. a lot of times you just get these remote um impossible people that you might know or whatever. And yeah. So yeah, it's always fun to make new connections and, and new people. Okay. So you're still yeah, you've stayed in Florida pretty much. Because you're out in Florida. Yes, so. I'm and are your kids my daughter lives there? In, 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 no, my son lives here in Florida. Um, he's actually staying with me now and um, his family because they were displaced not too long ago. You know how the rents went up and all that stuff. And um, mm. and my daughter's in Indianapolis. Uh, my daughter's in Indianapolis. She's teaching at Butler University. Um, she's teaching creative writing. Um, she's got a hundred days sober. I'm so so proud of her. I'm yeah. so happy for her. I'm so so happy awesome. for her, and I and I'm so proud of my son. And he's got two beautiful children and a wife. And my daughter's dating seriously, and I'm so happy for my kids. I mean, they have a lot of generational trauma, but they're doing it. They've, you know, they're they're okay. They're okay. Okay. I mean, that's okay. That's okay. Get. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, and you. You trying to give them a different life made a difference. You may not have been perfect all the time, and you're not perfect. None of us are. Yeah. You tried, and that's you know that's where. Yeah. That's very. Now I know better. That's now. Yeah. yeah. Now I know better. Now I do better. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, good, and it must be so fun having those grandbabies so close by too. <laughs> Oh, 100%. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, ask anybody on NASCA. I talk about grandbabies. I, I'm big into my grandbabies, too. I have six of them, so they're the oh. best. <laughs> oh, <I'm, laughs> yes, they are. Yeah. Yeah. I used to, I'd say, I wish you could have done that first, because the raising kids was kind of a hard job. The grandparent thing is a lot more fun. 
a whole lot more fun. Yeah, a whole lot. My daughter told me today, because I talk to her almost every day. My daughter told me today, I wish I would have had it like Morgan. I'm like, you didn't have a grandmother. (laughs) Right. Yeah, so you get to show them what being a grandmother is all about and just spoil the grandbaby. (laughs) That's your job. Yes, ma'am. That's my job. That's my first job. That's my number one job. Well, enjoy. Thank um, you again. You guys have a great night. Yes. Thank you. You guys have a great, great night. Thank you. Good night. And stay in touch. Oh, and anytime. Good night. And as we say, you know, if if you all see something, please say something. We all could make a difference in children's lives in our communities or in our neighborhoods. So pay attention to what's going on. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.